Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to WIUXLP Bloomington. I'm Emily Miles, and I'll be your host for the next half hour. You are listening to American Student Radio, and today's show is Up There. We climb up a fire tower, explore the sky, and ask people just what is up there. Turns out it's seeds, language, and a bunch of stoners. From Bloom... <laughs> From... Uh, okay, live... Li- what is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is... This is... This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens. Conspiracy. Journalism. And lesbians. In our first piece today, ASR producer Noni Ford reads a poem she wrote a few months ago that contemplates the mystery of the sky. The poem is called In the Blue. In the blue there are lights, but none of them are for you. In the blue my eyes you see the seasons changing, people disappearing, and the breeze. In the blue there are such things that can take away a house with a person inside. In the blue is where I lost my balloon, when the rope attached to my wrist started to untie the knot. In the blue is where I look still for my balloon, but it has never given it back to me. That's the way it is. We give something up, and the blue never grants it back. We'll reach for it anyway, with our hands and our hearts. Such are the ethics of the sky, that it leaves us at the end, with nothing and no one, save for astronauts and thrill-seekers. This is Noni Ford for ASR. All sounds provided by freesound.org. Thanks to Noni Ford for that piece. In this next one, ASR producer Angelo Batista takes us up a southern... In- ASR producer... <clears throat> ASR producer Angelo Bautista takes us up a southern Indiana relic, once used to spot danger and save lives. If you head 12 miles south of Bloomington on 446 West and turn left, you'll find a long and winding gravel road through the Charles C. Deem wilderness. I'm not sure what took me so long to come out to this place. I've been in Bloomington for almost four years, only ever hearing about it, but never going. Finally, I made it. Okay, so we're here at the Hickory Ridge Fire Tower. There's a lot of cars around here that are parked, but... I assume everyone else is at the top of the tower. Before me stands what looks like a steel transmission tower, but with a small box perched at the top. Narrow flights of stairs zigzag their way up the center. Wow. Uh, I'm standing underneath the whole tower, just looking up, and... (laughs) Oh, there are so many steps. 
133 to be exact. Okay. Okay, let's go. Most fire towers like this one were built in the 1930s and manned by fire lookouts during high fire seasons. These steps are just so narrow. Because they were built in such remote locations, it made it hard to work in shifts, so most were manned by one person who would live in the tower or in a cabin nearby. Whoa. (laughs) Don't trip. Almost tripped. Such a lonely job was, for some, a refuge. Jack Kerouac spent the summer of 56 as a fire lookout in the mountains of Washington to try and focus on his writings. He found the job, in all of its solitude and panoramic views, to be something less than fantasy. But he would later write about his experiences in his books The Dharma Bums and Desolation Angels. Oh, God. (laughs) I think I'm only maybe even a third of the way up, and I... I'm not in very good shape. At one point, there were more than 8,000 fire lookout towers in the U.S., but with advancing radio and aerial technology, many fell into disuse by the 1970s. I wouldn't say that I'm very scared of heights, but I am pretty high up. About halfway, and I am basically at the top of the trees now. Um... Almost there. Today, there are fewer than 2,000 towers, and some, like this one, remain open to the public. I wonder if anyone's up there. It's all these cars around, parked at the bottom, but I don't hear anyone. Finally, I made it to the top. Oh. There's no one here. Wow. (laughs) So... There's some beers around here. There's a lot of wasps. It's like, it's basically a kind of just a little metal cabin with an old wood floor. It's all gray, but it's covered with writings and graffiti. It is a lot smaller than I thought it would be. But, wow, the view. The view's pretty great. You could see nothing but treetops all around, but what I loved most was the quiet. It's actually very peaceful. It's nice up here. I was hoping to find someone. I wonder where everyone is. I spoke too soon. I can feel... I can feel the top of the tower shaking underneath my feet. There's some... There's a couple people that are coming up here right now. Oh. Hi there. Hi. Hi. Uh, sorry if I'm, like, intruding your space or anything. Oh, no, you guys are... Cool. Hey, um, I'm actually working on um, an audio, like a radio project. Do you mind if I just ask you guys some questions about the fire tower? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, What are you guys' names? Uh, I'm Lizzie. And I'm Nick. So what brings you up here to the fire tower? The beautiful view. Just being able to relax, get away, 
just the pretty sights and all the hornets. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice place to think. Yeah. What do you guys normally do when you come up here? Talk. Yeah. yeah. Just sit. Yeah. Chat. Have deep moments. Yeah. This seems to be <laughs> the place for it. I've never actually been up here before. How often do you guys come up here? Oh God. <laughs> Once a week. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it always this empty? Oh no. Not typically. No. no. <laughs> there. Sometimes there's like twenty people squished up here together. So, you come here so often. I think what is maybe one of your favorite memories up here? Oh. Our favorite memory is probably going to be different. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know. It's a really good place to get to know someone else. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they seemed like they wanted some alone time, so I left. I'm I'm making my way down the tower now, and if anything, I think going down is a lot worse than going up. I, As I worked my way down, I could hear the two laughing above me. I think there's something to be said about wanting to go up these towers. Not for the view, but for the intimacy. These towers were built to hold protectors of the forests. Today, they're a small sanctuary, high up above the loud and familiar. When I think of these towers, I think of all the books read, the beers drunk and joints passed, the laughs shared, and soft words spoken in a lover's ear. The music in this piece comes from Gillicuddy under a non-commercial attribution license. For American Student Radio, I'm Angela Batista. Thanks, Angelo. So that's the spatial sense of high. And then there's the kind that's only in the mind, but apparently often ends up in cars? This next piece comes from me. It was just like me and two of my friends um, and a hamster. (laughs) I think the hamster got high too. (laughs) Actually, it's kind of an embarrassing story, but I once fainted. I felt like my head was going to leave my body. It was with my girlfriend. And I think that tripping can really open your eyes to a lot of things. I imagined my essence like centered in the middle of the universe, and but the universe was my life, and my entire life was like playing before my eyes, and I realized that there's no free will. I felt like I would never feel normal again. Next thing I know, I can't move. We're also on a road trip, by the way. I drove up the street, and I stopped at a stop sign, and I pulled over, and I said, You know what? This is fine. I'm chill. We're not going to die. It's going to be fine. I could feel every single time I pressed like the gas or the brake on my car, I could literally feel my legs twitching and every single muscle in my toes like moving to make it happen, like to press on the pedal. And she was kind of driving in the wrong lane and then like switching back after she remembered. Turned into like a 30-minute expedition, and by the time we were coming back, it was too late. It was rough. And then I came home and I made like every food that I have in my cupboard. I just ate all of it. <laughs> and she had tortilla chips, and she just like grabbed this jar, and we both like swore that it was like salsa. And then we started eating it and realized it was peanut butter. Oh, man, I ate a decadose chibachu. And I ate about 25 Rice Krispie treats and about 10 packs of gummies, and I threw up everywhere. And I started throwing up all night, it was, but it was honestly dope. My heart was racing really fast, and I could, like, feel it. And then someone said that they could see it, like, come out of my chest. And I was like, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's not okay. <laughs> um, but I think I had some good dreams. 
tucked myself into bed with my comfiest jammies and slept the night away, yeah. In our next piece, ASR producer Holly Lemna walks us through the up-there language of the head and the deep-down language of the heart. That's Kaya Myers singing an original song. She's singing it in the hybrid gymnasium auditorium of a Catholic high school in central France. The two of us, alongside 20 or so other students, were part of a six-week full immersion French program in a small provincial town called Salmir. The first verse of the song starts out shaky, barely audible in the video. Then the lilting ballad, lifting its core lyric. Salmure, je t'aimerai toujours. Salmure, I will always love you. Kaya, this song was the culmination of six weeks of isolation from one world and the final step into another. It was her demonstrating fluency beyond that of grammar and syntax. It was her speaking the language of something deeper. When you learn a language, you come to realize one thing. You're really learning two. The first is the language of the head. This is language in the most mechanical sense. This is standing in a grocery store in France, trying to put together the pieces into a full-fledged sentence before you get to the cashier. The second is the language of the heart. This is language unspoken. This is sitting in that grocery store with your host family, rifling through the ugliest pairs of shoes and laughing together. The head and the heart, up there and down here. To Kaya, her music was her heart. To me, it was food. As a kid, my dad used to hang up the herbs and peppers from the garden on the porch trellis. We had a patch of cilantro that grew near the edge of the garden, and behind it grew a few stalks of chili peppers. After the peppers dried, my dad sealed them up in an airtight jar and left them on the top shelf of the cupboard. Years later, we dug them out, and my dad ground them up with his mortar and pestle. He placed the jar on the spice rack between the paprika and the chili powder next to the pots of rosemary and basil on the windowsill. That tiny corner of the kitchen was the heart of my family's life. Then, when I went to France, I realized something. French people don't like spicy food. My host family had a drawer in their kitchen that rolled out to reveal the basics. Sugar, salt, oil, etc. But they didn't have anything remotely spicy. To me... This was the biggest source of culture shock. Not the time change, not the fact that my insulin cost 40 euros instead of a few hundred, not even my broken French. It was that sudden shift to an empty kitchen. It was the way the garden outside lined the fence instead of flourishing in the large rectangular plots I had grown up with. It was eating alone while different family members filtered in and out looking for something to eat on the go. The kitchen was where my parents made salsa after they harvested the vegetables from the garden. It was where my brother and I used to eat the leftover dough from the Christmas cookies my mom made every year. It was where my parents discussed politics and I sat on the floor, not understanding a word. 
It was a place woven into my soul. Divorced from that world, I longed to bring a piece of it into this new life. I wanted to make something. So, I took a bus to the market. I wanted a mango, covered in chili powder. As it turns out, that supermarket imported their mangoes from the Dominican Republic, individually wrapped in little plastic bags. I took a mango. I spent 15 minutes trying to find this vice aisle, but when I found it, I realized something. There was no chili powder. It didn't exist, or at the very least, didn't exist under the name chili. About to miss the bus, I grabbed whatever seemed closest. I grabbed a massive bottle of cayenne peppers. And I sat there, on the bus, the pepper in my bag, and I couldn't help but feel that emptiness again. I'd gotten myself so worked up about making this little bowl of diced mangoes and chili powder that I couldn't help but feel upset at not finding exactly what I wanted. It all felt worthless, knowing it wouldn't be the same as it was thousands of miles away. So, I came back to my host family's house. I sat at the kitchen counter and sliced the meat away from the pit of the mango, chopping it into a little blue bowl with a sprinkling of the cayenne. I offered the mangoes to my host family, begging them to try it. Most of them politely declined. My youngest host sister, a little girl around five or six, leaned over the bowl to sniff it and scrunched her face up into a ball. She did not try it. But two of my family members did. And I could see from the shock on their faces that they didn't like it. But the fact that they tried it at all comforted me. It made me feel connected to them. And it hit me there that I'd been so in my head about chasing after the perfect meal that I'd missed the point of doing it at all. I'd wanted to make the mangoes so I could feel grounded again. So I could have a concrete piece of myself to share with my host family. And I did. It wasn't perfect, sure, but that's not the point. Nothing's perfect, no matter what world you live in. The branches of a tree will always continue to reach up there, striving to be better, but its roots will always remain grounded in the same earth as every other tree that grows alongside it. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Holly Lumna. Thanks for that, Holly. Moving upward and onward, ASR producer Abby Gibson takes us to a place up north where seeds are housed in anticipation of catastrophe. And some of those seeds are from a place very near and dear. There's a vault on a Norwegian island not too far from the North Pole. The vault, nestled in a mountain on the Svalbard archipelago, is funded by various national governments, international organizations, and NGOs. It opened in 2008 as a failsafe against global crises. Inside... Seeds. Hundreds of thousands of seeds. The Svalbard Global Seed Vault is a result of an effort to preserve Earth's biodiversity. If um, we have like a worldwide drought, you know, if agricultural fails on a monumental scale, there's seeds to rebuild it. That's Susan Wilsand, a.k.a. the Chili Woman. She's a vendor at the Bloomington Farmer's Market, where she sells peppers of all shapes, sizes, and colors. The movement around the Svalbard Vault seems distant and a little otherworldly. But to find seed preservation in action, you don't have to look farther than her Bloomington farm. That's all my seeds. Susan has around 2,000 pepper seeds held in her own storage refrigerator. 
She says maintaining biodiversity is important, and she works to preserve varieties of peppers through seed swapping with other growers. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to send seed around the world. Mailing them, there's different rules, and so I'd come in the post office certain times of the year with a bunch of bubble envelopes, and the clerks would get out these big black books and go, which country? You know, and they'd look it up. And I, the one I remember most is Qatar, because the clerk said, Qatar, Qatar. <laughs> he said, I don't think I've ever sent a package to Qatar. Seed exchange not only allows people all over the world to experience different kinds of produce, but also ensures the survival of species. Susan says a lot of her peppers from South and Central America came from her friend Beth Boyd, a.k.a. the Ahi Queen. I credit her for introducing a lot of the stuff to the U.S. And if you go back 20 years, any like chili hobbyists that was growing their own plants from seeds, they got seeds from Beth. After Beth passed away a few years ago, Susan ended up with a box of her seeds. And when in 2016, a founder of the Svalbard Vault, Carrie Fowler, visited Bloomington, Susan saw an opportunity to honor her friend. It bugged me that she wasn't getting any credit for introducing these seeds to the U.S. And that, like, if you ask the newer people, you know, well, didn't Beth Boyd bring those peppers into the U.S.? They'd say, who? And so um, the seeds that her friend Joe sent me, um, I gave to Carrie to put in the vault. So I kind of feel like she's... She's memorialized in the vault forever. <laughs> Much thanks, Abby. Our last piece of the show comes from ASR producer Jack Hensian, who takes the big questions to the streets. Just who, what, when, where, and why is up there. If you do believe in something being up there, who or what is up there? Up there? <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I believe in heaven and God, and I've just been raised as to believe in that there is a heaven, so something better, like afterlife. Like, I believe in God, and I think aliens are also there. There is afterlife, I'm sure for that. Mm-hmm. And even if it's just like bacteria, I believe that there like has to be some sort of life somewhere. I believe in God. <laughs> um, I was also brought up to believe in God. I don't know exactly to what extent I believe, but definitely in a higher power somewhere. Uh, well, I was raised Catholic, so there's still a pretty big part of me that like believes very you know, thoroughly in that strict definition of God. And, you know, I don't know if I still fully subscribe to that. Up there, I would definitely say people in business. Socially, financially, networking-wise, yeah, they're up there. Uh, My first thought was, like, with religion, if there's, like, a God. So if you say, like, who's up there, I'm like, I think of just some big man in the sky. (laughs) I believe in heaven. So when it comes to people who are up there, I think of... Probably businessmen, people who have a lot of money, um, just anyone who kind of like has it all but might not like be happy. But I just feel like people with a lot of money and like business. And um, why do you think that humans usually believe in something being up there? Whether it is like just an idealized position or place they want to be or it's heaven or God, why is there an up there to humans? Yeah, I mean, I was just brought up to like with the bible and everything and just based off of life experiences i believe that yeah i think uh, i think that uh, we all are here for a reason like god has made all of us for a reason that's what i think um i guess i was just brought up that way i think a lot of people need to believe that there's something to make sense of like life i agree like somewhere to turn to when you have like troubles and you know something to pray to get better and stuff Mm -hmm. like that yeah i mean i definitely think that I mean, in your lifetime, you want to, like, when you die, you don't just 
died. Like, you're not just, like, your life is just over. It's, like, there's something better up there for you or experiences and better place up there. Um, well, I just, God is like, worked in my life, so I've seen, like, him do things for me personally, so I have no choice but to believe he's up there. I think, like, there's just faith and hope. Like, um, we aren't here for no reason. We're here for a purpose, and then after that, we'll live eternally. So, like, when life on Earth is done, everyone wants to imagine that there's something else, so you're going to think, no matter what form it is, that there's something up there that we'll get to experience. Well, the thought of dying and just, like, being nothing else, just going into the ground and, like, I feel like that's a hard concept to grasp just because people want there to be a second life. They don't want to feel like this is all there is and that after this, like, nothing means anything and we're just going to die one day and, like, go nowhere. People want to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to go somewhere. We have to be good now so we have a wonderful afterlife. And, like, so it's just easier to think that there's somewhere else just because then that gives our purpose, like, life's purpose. Why do you think we call it up there? Like, when we think of this great place where we want to end up or great place where we want to be or something where everything works out, why is it always up there? Why is that the direction or place that we choose? Everything that's, like, you want is up. Positivity, people are always thinking up. Like, the glass is half full more so than half empty. I mean, I think it's, like, pos- like when you think of something positive or, like, in- like influence, like, it goes up, so... Positivity, like positivity, goodness would like be in the upwards direction. I don't know. I guess in my head, like the sky is very like free, and there's not really like a limit. So I feel like by up there, it's just kind of like a, you know, you don't really know exactly what's up there, but it's kind of just like a free spirit type thing. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It's kind of like, I don't know. I guess it's just like that's where the th- like things go because it's higher than we are now. Like you're already down, so. The only way to go is up because going further down is just like negative. So how do you get up there in your mind? What, what is the key to getting up there? A lot of people believe, oh, you have to believe the same thing I do. But I'm like, there are wonderful people who don't believe. So is that the key to getting up there? Just kind of be kind, you know? Yeah, like I feel like if there is up there and if there is a God, I feel like to get there, you just be a good person. Thanks, Jack. And thank you for listening to American Student Radio and WIUX. Today we've gone up there, looked around, and come back down. I think I learned something. Usually, what seems to be so distant isn't, and what seems so integral, so deep down, is often part of something a little bit up there. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes, and join us next week for Rick Brewer's show about obsolete things. Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes every Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash American student radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.